You're listening to Dialogues on 3CR Community Radio. Every Wednesday night at midnight. I'm joined in the studio by Steph Payne and Kate Disher-Quill. Steph is partway between a guest and a host. She's an experienced community radio presenter who's been on air at 4ZZZ and Edge Radio, most recently producing and hosting her own awesome show, Scenes on the Radio. Um, Steph has been photographed by Kate Disherquill for Kate's latest work, Earshot. Earshot is a photography and multimedia project that opens a conversation about deafness and hearing loss, something that affects one in six Australians. Uh, Kate is a photography, film and multimedia artist who's been exhibiting since 2010 and has five published print works. Thanks to both of you for coming in the studio. I'm genuinely really excited just from the conversation that we've been having before we pressed record um, to hear you guys chat and and I feel really lucky to be part of this conversation. Uh, Maybe we could start with what the experience was like for both of you, uh, Kate and Steph, to be subject and, and photographer in this project? Yeah, well, I met Kate in Brisbane and we met up in, I think it was Shaz that got us in touch, like a mutual friend. Is that what um, I was trying to remember the connection, but I couldn't actually Yeah, it remember. was super intimate and it like carried on like that. Like I remember when we were on the, um, the back porch, it didn't really feel super intimidating at all. Yeah, yeah, I, f- yeah. I sort of felt like if we'd known each other many years it sort of just felt like catching up with a friend in in another city yeah and yeah I remember it quite vividly in the, your old Queenslander house and yeah sitting mm. on the back porch just you were actually one of the first people that I photographed for the project all right uh so I was still quite fresh in it and still kind of figuring out my own sort of journey with hearing loss yeah, that was pretty much the same experience for me. I, I I felt like I was really interested in deaf identity, but was finding it like a bit top down or a bit theoretical. Mm. And so when I had this chance to meet you, I was like, I'm going to meet like one of my people. Yeah, and we both have a very similar hearing loss. Mm. Uh, so that was there was obviously we had that in common. Mm. I remember one of the the biggest differences that I noticed was that. For me growing up, I didn't have anyone else around me that had hearing loss and I felt quite isolated in that experience and I also had, a, I guess, a negative experience with an itinerant teacher. Okay. And I remember you – and I just kind of thought that that's what everyone – like everyone didn't like their itinerant teachers. Mm. And what, What's an itinerant yeah. teacher? Uh, so I guess there's a new word for me because I used to just say special needs teacher. Oh, oh really? Whereas now they're called itinerant IST, teachers. Yeah. It makes it sound like they're really unreliable and they just disappear. Yeah, I guess the conflict saying, oh, special, special needs yeah. perhaps has mm. a negative connotation. But, yeah, I just sort of expected everyone to have those negative Early experiences, childhood. but you had quite a positive experience and yeah. you, you really liked your yeah, special I'm, needs teacher. Yeah, I'm still in touch with Yolanda. Like, I actually got in touch with her recently to help me, like, write an application for uni. Hmm. Um, I wanted to ask you, like, because we do have that kind of, you know, journey aspect of maybe sort of 
finding out who is out there. And we've both started signing. Yeah. yeah. Um, do you have a sign name yet? Because I was yeah, reading, I... when I was reading about <laughs> you, I was like, KDQ, that's just so cute. Like, you could just finger spell that out. That's just so cute. Oh, that's a good one. I hadn't <laughs> thought, yeah, you could just do my initials. Um, maybe that's what people do when I'm not around. But, yeah, <laughs> sign name, I mean, you can't, you can't see, see it on radio. Yeah. <laughs> but if I describe it, it's uh, the symbol of a K in America, uh, ASL, ASL, which is American yeah. Sign Language. And it's held up to my eye like a, like a clicking of a photographer. It's like, okay, so I'm going to try and describe it. It's like a little K to the eye. It's like a little wink almost yeah. as well. Oh. Kind of kawaii as well. You know, like, uh, like oh. cute Japanese sort of. Oh, yeah, yeah sort of like, it? <laughs> anyway, that's cute. awesome. Yeah. yeah, so it was another photographer, a deaf photographer, who sort of came up with that one. Nice. That's beautiful. Yeah. yeah. I found it a bit tricky to do it first. <laughs> I was like, I don't really understand a K, but when you get, I guess, people who have been signing for a long time, it's quite natural. So mm. what's the difference between the K in Auslan and the K in ASL? Oh, in ASL, they the the alphabet's all using one hand, oh. so I actually can't do it all, but I, oh. that, I know that that's K. Mm, yeah. uh, whereas in Auslan, which is Australian Sign Language, we use both hands, mm. and so that's the K. Oh, interesting. So, mm. Yeah. What do you guys know about the development of the languages? Um, I know that it has, like, quite similar to other, like, spoken languages, it has the same sort of organic development like we have etymological roots in old british uh-huh um we have like the sign for australia is an old british word i guess which means to dump like that's the root like australia is a dumping ground i, I i'd love to see that i mean it's kind when, of funny but it's funny but when i actually just thought it was more like a kangaroo <laughs> oh because like, the motion is like a little bouncy like kangaroo bouncy yeah. yeah but it really is dumping it means to dump yeah it's pretty... which is a very like Maritime oh, British yeah. identity, yeah. you know, being so prescribed to a whole country that's yeah. more than that. But yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, I was wondering, Kate, if we could talk about you as an artist as well. Mm-hmm. And this might be a really annoying question or a bit bored, but I was wondering if you do have some kind of like incident in your life that was really defining in terms of getting you started. Well, in terms of my interest in photography it really started when I was probably about 13 because uh, my dad built a dark room in our back shed mm. and it's interesting because it was that the actual developing of photographs that I was first drawn to and I was first introduced to so that process of getting the negative and uh, you know enlarging it on a piece of paper and then putting it through all the chemicals and I just became obsessed with that process and would spend hours in the dark room and then I guess I started taking photos myself so I could develop my own photos and so I was just always really interested in it but didn't think that I could build a career out of it or wasn't particularly interested in building a career out of it because I saw it as more of a hobby. Yeah well when did that start to change? Like, Well it's funny because when I had to choose, when I was choosing something to go to university, choosing a degree, mm. and I didn't think to study a photography degree, c- mm. again, because I just thought that was a hobby. And I read a description of visual communications, which sort of, 
the description is basically communicating through visual modes, whether it's graphics or film or but photography was part of that. So I thought, oh, what a great way to explore more visual ways of communicating. And I guess my strongest points were always photography. And it was the last year of uni that I got a job with a photographer just working three days a week. Wow. Mm. And I, it just kind of ha- it happened quite organically. And when people say, how did you become a photographer? It's sort of like that experience happened where I just ended up in this job without really thinking about it but it's like it was almost always meant to be and it seemed like a really natural progression mm-hmm. yeah from there I just sort of became a, a freelance photographer and it was more to I guess as a income not so much as an artistic mm. pursuit mm-hmm. did you would you be able to like define what it is about photography that I mean that's like that's a huge question <laughs> Is there something about what photography can achieve that you're just really excited about? Or? I suppose it's always been quite an emotional response for me. Mm. And even my work now, like I don't consider myself a very technical photographer. It's more just, oh, well, if it, how, how does it make you feel? I suppose to me the most like pivotal uh, experience of seeing another photographer's work was when I was 18 or oh, 17 it was like my last year of high school seeing Bill Henson's retrospective mm. it was a, just a really it sort of happened at the right time or as an age where I was c- contemplating where my life might go and I just remember it being so powerful and mm. it's like I, I can't ever really explain it but it's just it it really touches something in me that like where you just are enthralled and want to stare at an image and I think photography does that to me more than anything else I yeah when I think of the photograph that I felt really moved by my grandfather was he called himself an amateur photographer which is interesting because you're talking about it being a hobby and yeah but he was a great photographer um yeah I remember the photograph that really resonated they seemed to sort of capture a moment where they've got they've given you enough information but there's this real kind of resonance with what's outside the frame there's like a lot that's withheld as well and so you kind of like with Bill Henson it's sort of suspended like you like it's it's a mystery but you're like the subject is really beautifully captured at the same time it's like a really interesting tension there yeah the curiosity I think so it mm. makes you want to know more or explore mm. more for sure how, how have you found the balance between the um uh, taking photographs as a job uh, and taking photographs as an art. Not that they should be separate. I, don't, I wasn't sure how but to no, frame that. but I guess yeah. it's any artist or yeah. any photographer's dilemma that it start, what starts off as a hobby that then turns into work. Yeah. Uh, it's certainly not easy and I think it comes in waves. And, yeah. You know, there's. I feel like I'm someone that needs to – be all in one or the other and mm. so it's like I need to mm. dedicate a solid amount of time just to be pursuing my own thing mm. and then I need to dedicate a solid amount of time to just earn some money mm-hmm. I have sort of my main income from the photography is weddings right. and I was quite hesitant about that for a few years and I feel like in the last year or two I've 
just come to accept that it's actually a, a great balance. And mm-hmm. what was the hesitation? Uh, I reckon there's probably a bit of that stigma against wedding photography <laughs> that was first the, you know, like oh. You're not a real photographer if you're uh, photographing yeah, weddings. Right. Well, you're you're like so beautiful. Look at your photos. They're, they're beautiful. <laughs> and you People love surrounded, wedding photographs, yeah, you're surrounded right? by love and optimism. <laughs> well, within the photography world, it can be quite frowned upon. Um, yeah, I'm sure. Is it seen like, like selling out? Perhaps, but then I realised that every every type of photography, commercial photography, you, you mm. are selling out. And I think that's... Mm. Uh, you have to earn money somehow mm. and, I mean, in another aspect, it's like, oh, well, could I just be an artist and make all my uh, money from that? But maybe that would then put too much pressure on my art, you know? Yeah. Mm. So if the pressure on my personal work isn't to make money, then I can mm. still feel quite passionate about it and mm. then if I've got the side the weddings on the side that just sort of still keep me going and there's it's a it's a quite a nice thing to photograph and if I if I can still make beautiful photos doing that then it's I think it's a good balance I just think that it's ironic that the state of Victoria want to treaty with Aboriginal people but have no issue in destroying our sacred sites War is devastating on the environment. In peacetime, the military is a huge user of fossil fuels, a huge driver of nuclear energy and ultimately the architect of nuclear weapons. Subscribe to 3CR in 2019, fighting for social justice and environmental change. And to all the people that are so afraid of the solutions to climate change that they choose to live in denial instead, the current solutions to the climate emergency are much easier to cope with than the outcomes that will come if we don't. Feed Radical Radio. Go to 3cr.org.au forward slash subscribe or call the station on 94198377. Follow, follow the sun. Which way the wind blows. Are you passionate about films, interested in cultural diversity, or wanting to get exposure for your own film? The Indonesian Film Festival is just around the corner with our main events running from March the 23rd to April the 10th. There'll be free film screenings, panel discussions and for filmmakers, there's the short film competition. This year's theme is The Unknown and film submissions close on the 3rd of March. What are you waiting for? Go and check it out. The Indonesian Film Festival, iffaustralia.com, a 3CR supporter. Would you like to get involved in the decision-making process at 3CR? Nominations are now open in 3CR's Community Radio Federation elections. You can stand as a subscriber representative and have valuable input into the programming and future direction of this diverse and dynamic radio station. Nominations are due by Friday the 1st of March at 5pm. For more information, contact 3CR Station Manager on 9419 8377 or download the nomination form at the 3CR website 3cr.org.au forward slash people You're listening to 3CR this is Dialogues and I'm joined in the studio by Steph and Kate we're talking about photography 
deaf culture and making art. Yeah, what a beautiful intersection. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm so happy to be here. Yeah. yeah. I thought we could talk about your art making process. Like we've started to touch on it just now, but like you sort of talked about your background in visual communications. And we talked before about what this brought to you in terms of like organising yourself around design principles and having purpose. Um, and I think you had a good point about like what you were saying, you know, that bringing that all together. Mm. Like when I look at the book that you brought in today, the Earshot book, mm. um, it's pulling everything together because you study design and I feel like it's it, it looks like sumptuous and you know immersive and that's the fonts and the positioning of the photographs and things like that does it feel like and you're a multimedia artist so does it feel like you're bringing all those things together from your training as well yeah so I mean I should also say that I didn't design it I worked quite closely with the designer but Mark Harley from Athlete designed the book but we share a studio together so it was very much like us side by side a lot of the time nice. and the fact that I did have that background meant that I was quite heavily involved but I suppose Earshot is kind of the this product of mm. all the things that I've I guess believe in in terms of the purpose of photography and the purpose of design and say print design mm. and and I mean illustrations also in it, so it's bringing all those things together to create something that, yeah, I'm, I'm I, not quite sure what I'm saying, but yeah, it no, but brings I, together all that. Yeah, there was one thing you said that you you were like kind of hoping that it might be a resource in a way. Yeah, and just looking through, like I totally like I love the audiogram spread that you have. An audiogram is is sort of like on a graph, um, and that is I've I've always wanted to have one of those on hand for when people ask. Because a lot of people really think that deafness is just missing out on a, like, a... It's bl- a percentage, and they yeah. say, oh, well, what percent? Yeah. How, how deaf are you? Yeah. Like, well, but it's so, it's so nuanced and so different from person to person. Well, what I kept coming back to, because I think it's, a, it's such a huge project to do when you're so close to it, and it was so, I guess I did the whole thing. You know, it wasn't like working with a team or mm-hmm. with an organisation where you can bounce all these ideas off each other like I felt so attached to it that the one thing that kind of just kept guiding me was thinking back to my younger self when I was 10 years old and getting my first pair of hearing aids and just the lack of support and knowledge that was given to me that well this is what I would have wanted to see and I Mm. think this is because it's not it's not just about the photos it's not just about the stories you need the information there but it also needs to look good so I was just kind of trying to bring all of that into one place Mm. and so yeah Yeah. and I mean we've talked about um sort of those design features like illustrations and resources but like that's also this process has also involved bringing together like 30 plus people and their stories, which is a huge weight to carry. Mm. Um, well, it's, yeah, it still doesn't seem like enough. I'm still like, oh, there's that story <laughs> and that's oh, what, I'm really, I'm really curious about how you found the people mm. and how you – was there a selection sort of – did you have an eye for, you know, who's going to be good to fit in with this cohort of, of, of subjects? 
Well, I guess because I technically started it four and a half years ago. So that's when it began and that's close. Like I actually, yeah, that first met a bunch of people because I put a status up on Facebook that said, hey, everyone. Uh, yeah, I have a hearing loss. So it was firstly <laughs> this like coming out experience because a lot of people didn't know. I was very um, self-conscious about it, didn't want people to know. And so yeah. it was the first kind of coming out about it. And I put up a photo of my hearing aids. And mm. I, I I remember being really drawn to that photo. Is it the, it's like a squared off photo of like all your a group of yeah, yeah, hearing aids on like a three slate. It's a yeah, bit yeah. of wood. <laughs> yeah, okay. I love and I bought that photo. I've got it somewhere. Oh really? Yeah, I've just moved up to Melbourne. It's somewhere in my box. Oh, cool. one of my boxes. Yeah. Anyway. I, yeah, I didn't end up putting that photo in the book. But mm. um because there was a better one of an, one of the other boys, I think. But mm. I yeah, that was the beginning. That was me just trying to find anyone because I, I didn't know anyone with hearing aids. Uh, so at that point you'd grown up um, diagnosed as deaf around the age of 10 well diagnosed at 3 but oh, okay. given hearing aids when I was 10 and then at this point you're in your 20s I'm guessing and, and this is your first time connecting with deaf culture yeah so, so I was 26 right. and it was I found it quite shocking to when I thought back and said wow I'm 26 and I, I'm only just starting to explore this idea Mm. and yeah so I started just finding yeah friends of friends on Facebook people that I didn't even necessarily know that well that connected me with other people and then I started contacting a few different organizations Mm -hmm. and then I I wanted to get sort of involved with some deaf artists and see what was going on with the deaf arts community Mm -hmm. and that's when I came I came down to Melbourne to meet a bunch of people down here because the deaf uh, arts community in Melbourne's the strongest right and And you're usually based in Sydney is that I sorry I used to be based in Sydney yeah I moved here a couple of years ago okay right Mm. yeah cool and what was like for you Steph like hearing like seeing that on Facebook and then... Well, yeah, I yeah. got in touch with Kate through a mutual friend. Um, and, yeah, like I was just really stoked to meet someone. I had a similar sort of kind of like a fairly parallel experience of being really excited because I'd had some experience as a younger person um, meeting. Like I went to a lot of camps for kids who were deaf mm-hmm. and I had like some sign from from that and some contact through that. But I always, I did have a little bit of a struggle with my identity as a deaf person. And it was mm. because I think I just didn't see what the big deal was. Like I was, it was quite normalized for me. And I think now looking back, that's kind of a positive thing, like for a kid not to really be burdened by something that, mm. like not to realize that some people set them apart. Um, the one disadvantage of it was just that I didn't end up sort of because sometimes those separations can really create groups as well. And it wasn't until I was at uni, like I'd done my undergrad before I met Kate, and I was writing about deaf identity and deaf politics and sort of like there's this division um, on how to teach deaf deaf kids. Like do you teach them 
through their language or do you expect them to learn English? And mm. so I had all this, but I didn't have any friends that like I had just a real sort of casual relationship with. Mm. Yeah, so I was really, I'm, and I've just moved to Melbourne recently and I'm so excited about <laughs> about meeting people. And um, yeah, I'm all signed up to brush up on my Auslan as well. And I'm seeing that as like probably the main sort of door mm. to conversations and mm-hmm. yeah. What do you guys see as the um, advantages and disadvantages of, like you were saying, Steph, having you know, a group that mm. because of social pressure and stigma maybe and, and judgment are brought together. But yeah, on the other hand, so that togetherness builds strength and yeah. capacity. I mean, there's some, um, you could suggest that there are deaf communities that have been built around the polarisation of, of their identity. Like, it's it's been treated it had like deaf deaf identity had some real heydays like in the enlightenment era people thought that deaf people were closer to god because they were reading the bible um and the bible was seen as the most immediate immediate word of god why were they as reading opposed the bible? to it what? Oh. oh sorry should i back up a bit I just yeah. So there were there were like oh these deaf people they don't they don't hear they don't uh-huh. hear the Bible through the mouth of a mortal man. Okay. There's no like there's no middleman essentially. They're reading they, it like the text text the Bible as a text would godly, and could other would, people read or not? Yeah, but it's uh-huh. like you know they were reading the word of it was it was just something okay. they, they thought that deafness had a real textual yeah. quality to it. Yeah. Mm. Um. It didn't necessarily include the signing as a like as a as an identifying feature, mm-hmm. and they were kind of revered as being a little bit you know um like a demigod like yeah, but it most of the time deaf identity has been centered around a medical model which just sort of identifies people a deficit. as yeah. yeah not hearing yeah. the same as other people yeah. and they need to be helped and they need to be sort of they need to be some sort of intervention and that sort of attitude has established like a resistance and around that resistance you have I would say a deaf community that's like no our language is beautiful and we don't need that well I guess I feel like it's probably any community that's been ostracized or discriminated against they're going to come together and develop that pride so it's I didn't know anything about deaf identity or mm. the concept of being capital D deaf until I started working on this project mm. and it was a real eye-opener for me learning all about about that and meeting people who one of the – I remember the first thing that kind of shocked me is this concept of people not wanting cochlear implants and there was a lot of mm. contention between those the hearing world saying, you know, how how dare these people refuse this? Uh, what do the cochlear yeah. implants do? How do they work? Uh, so, a cochlear implant is a device for someone whose cochlea doesn't function right. or doesn't function well, meaning that they're profoundly deaf mm. and. So a hearing aid doesn't work because the hearing aid's just amplifying sound, right. and so when it's that you're that profoundly deaf, it's not going to do.
do much. Yeah. So the cochlear implant is one part of it get, that gets implanted into your cochlea and mm. basically functions as a substitute a cochlea. Yeah. 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 I mean, I'm not a, very good at explaining the science <laughs> of it, but there's some fancy words to explain how it works. But it's also not – I think I also, when I was younger, thought, oh, it's this thing that you just get put in and then suddenly you can hear. Right. Mm. Whereas it's so much more complex and now the way we hear is so – tied to our our brain function and how our nerves are receiving mm. that our brain receiving that information and yeah it's um, yeah we could go spend ages talking about it, it was yeah. quite complex yeah it sounds but, fascinating mm. it's kind of like um the cochlear debate is sort of centered around again this idea of sort of children i think like yeah. whether a parent who is hearing and has a deaf child chooses whether or not to sort of circumnavigate this mm. this world of deafness. And I think because parents would be nervous or anxious and they haven't had exposure to deaf community, they would very quickly take the advice of a doctor who mm. says, you know, we have a cochlear technology. Solution. A solution. Well, it's it's 95% of deaf kids are born to hearing parents, meaning... That's oh. a huge amount. I didn't realise that. Yeah, it's a, a huge majority mm. and... For those parents, quite often they've yeah had no exposure to. They don't know anything about deafness. They're basically just told, "Oh, your baby's failed this test, and mm. therefore this is this is a device to help, and this is a process." But nowhere along that journey, really, the medical professionals are necessarily talking about deafness or sign language it's only in the last couple of years that there's been quite a backlash saying Mm. that babies should have access to auslan as well as cochlear implants it shouldn't be seen as one or the other there's sort of like this concern that a child is missing out on language development Mm. but it's kind of that i mean if you give a, a deaf child a cochlear implant then you're depriving them of Auslan language development as well. Mm-hmm. So we're still seeing that kind of priority given towards English. And it's not just this magic fix. It takes years of mm. And it doesn't work. sound... It, and like, it, it sounds... Mm. And, and they work differently for everyone. Mm. And also when you take off that cochlear implant or the battery dies, you're completely deaf. Right. So yeah. I think this whole idea that, oh, if we've got to normalise these kids to... Mm. Oh, you know, you're not deaf. You just have a cochlear implant. You're normal, and but then then they're not, and that's okay. Mm. And it's okay to be deaf. You've just got this device that helps, but it's quite often, you know, if you're on the other side of the playground or you turn the other way, you still Mm. can't hear. And it's the same with hearing aids as well. A lot of people are like, oh, you're hearing, you've got hearing aids, so yeah, that's great. But it's not fully. It, yeah, it's not a bad no, uh, big solution. Still man, many, many challenges. Yeah, I actually remember like the meeting with you. I don't know if I mentioned this earlier, but meeting you four years ago and having that chat was the first time that I got away from entirely demonising sort of assistive technology like AIDS and cochlear implants. And I had come. I guess I'd been kind of maybe coming from that theoretical background where I'm analysing how how the medical model has sort of devastated sort of deaf identity mm. i was really like yeah no no cochlear implants 
no, no, no. But then you were talking about like some positive aspects of it and how it's so much more nuanced and it's so subjective. Like some people still call themselves deaf, obviously, and have cochlear implants. Like it's not a, it's not an, it's not a point of departure. Yeah, I and I, I think the positive aspect of where society seems to be going, or at least I think it is, and I guess what I believe was important with this project was to show that it it's not about sides or div- divisions mm. you know mm. we shouldn't be either or There's no either one way. or yeah. and the reason why it became either or was because historically parents were told mm. no you don't mm. teach your child sign language and so then obviously the deaf community is really upset and mm. Uh, a lot of those kids then went on to later learn sign language in their 20s and they felt deprived of that language. And so obviously that then causes some people to go, well, you've done that to me so now I'm mm. I'm completely deaf and this is how I... You, mm. you get quite defensive, whereas how I would like to see the world is where these two worlds come together where you sort of break down all the all the things that can assist and one mm. is the technology, one is the is sign language and then the other is actually getting the rest of society mm-hmm. to acknowledge how they can help and what communicating with people with hearing loss or deafness and that's the other element. It's like how can we make our world more accessible to deaf people? It's not just about a deaf person trying to hear because it doesn't always work. So, yeah, mm. I think all those elements are what we need to kind of strive towards. That's a really good point. Yeah, we'll come back to that after the break. We'll do some CSAs and we'll be right back. Lord is coming. The landlord is coming. Do you want more hag in your life? The Housing for the Aged Action Group show is changing time slot and will be coming to you twice a month from 5.30 to 6 o'clock on the second and fourth Wednesday of the month here on 3CR. That means twice as much news and information about older people's housing issues, including public housing. Tenants' rights. Housing activism. Retirement villages and caravan parks. Elder abuse and family violence. Aged care. Welfare rights. The cost of living. And housing issues for older people with disabilities. From culturally diverse backgrounds. LGBTI elders. And other groups in the community. And we'll be hearing from the real experts on older people's housing. Older older people people themselves. So tune in for The Hag Show, 5.30 to 6 on the second and fourth Wednesday of the month, starting March 13th, here on 3CR. Camp Anarchy is on over the long weekend, March 9th to 11th, at Camp Eureka in Yarra Junction. The aim is to bring anarchists, families, friends and those interested together. Come share ideas, skills, food, music and laughter. There is a bunch of radical workshops and skill shares over the weekend. Check out our website, campanarchy.org or contact us on info at campanarchy.org or via the Anarchist Events Facebook page. Camp Anarchy is a 3CR supporter.
3CR broadcasters present over 100 radio programs every week, including a diverse range of community language shows. Kamu semua ada dengar 3CR Community Radio, please subscribe now. Tistamiuna ila ila 3CR Community Radio araja al-ishtrakal an. Ninggal ungalin samuha wanali 3CR ay kertu kondirikandirikal. Hindre nayinggal. Están escuchando Radio Comunitaria 3CR. Suscríbete ahora. Netsuk ketsek radio i gairanin poretanguda melbumi hai kaotin. Hima artanakrevetsek iper 3CR i antam. Support the station that gives your community a voice. Subscribe to 3CR. Welcome back to Dialogues. You're listening to 3CR Community Radio and it's 8.55am. You can also listen to us online at 3cr.org.au and you can podcast Dialogues through your favourite podcast app. Um, I'm Meg and I'm in the studio with Steph and Kate and um, Kate's just recently completed a beautiful piece of work it's a book called earshot it's about the lived experiences of people who are deaf and um and it's also an exhibition that's coming up it's going to be on in melbourne pretty soon well the exhibition was already been but this oh. is the the book launching of it okay which... right <laughs> right right, right. <laughs> where's where's the launch at yeah. uh schoolhouse studios okay. on the first of march at 6 p.m and then we've also got a special event on for Hearing Awareness Week on the 7th of March at Melbourne Recital Centre. Cool. Which is, sounds amazing. It's called like Musicians for Hearing? Yeah. Right? So or Music for Hearing? Musicians for Hearing is the organisation that oh, um, I've partnered with to Real put it on. Yeah. And there's a f- couple of different performances, but one is, I guess, an immersive experience designed to make us question how we feel sound. Wow. And that includes a couple of deaf dancers that are going to perform. And then we've also got a Auslan-interpreted performance by the Melbourne band No Mono. Mm. And so all their lyrics will be interpreted on stage. That sounds I'm so, so cool. Yeah, yeah. It, it's on the same day as my mum's birthday. I'm trying to get her to come up because she's also deaf. And no. Oh, oh, great. We just, like, yeah. out. Tell her to come up. <laughs> oh, be, and it's such a beautiful space. Okay. Um, so it's sold. And I think Melbourne Masada <laughs> Centre, they're, they're like byline or whatever you call it is something like the best place to hear sound. But what I love is that it's also about feeling sound. Yeah, so, nice. Yeah, it should be pretty beautiful. So you, in, in terms of partnering with uh, deaf artists, um, is there – do you see enough of that? Was it hard to find other artists that are deaf and, you know, are there places that you wish that you would see it? Uh, yeah. Yeah, good question. Mm. Melbourne's definitely the best place. Sydney, I think, is getting a bit better in terms of representation of deaf artists, but Melbourne's definitely the strongest mm. community within Australia and I think a lot of deaf artists have been drawn to Melbourne for that purpose Mm. Uh, but yeah there's I guess that's a tricky one because I feel like there could always be more representation Mm. and let me that Anna Seymour is the dancer that's going to be performing and she's been doing really well and getting yeah getting a lot of of the subjects in a book as well yeah 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 Yeah. um would you like to share any like 
any sort of memorable kind of interviews or subjects? Like, yeah. I mean, I'm well, sure there's, there's so like many. 30. I know there's, there's 30, 35. Oh, there's 30, I think there's 36 in the book, but then mm. there's also another 10 or so that I've photographed that their full stories aren't in the book because mm-hmm. I had to, I did have to cut it down. Mm. Um, well, most recently I went up to Cairns and met a young I'd actually met him a few years ago, actually. He's a, a deaf Aboriginal boy from Cairns and I met him at a uh, deaf Aboriginal camp a couple of years ago and then I recently went back to photograph him and interview him and uh, I guess that's a whole other important uh, aspect of deafness that needs to be kind of addressed and which I wanted to address in the story. Because, oh, not story, the book. Mm-hmm. Mm. <laughs> Because there's actually, oh, I forgot, there's something like 50 Aboriginal sign languages across Australia mm, and that's yeah, something okay. that we don't really, no one really talks about mm. and that it's also a cultural sign. It's not just, it hasn't been formed just out of deafness but as part of their culture mm. and there's also a I guess epidemic level of hearing loss within Aboriginal communities. So yeah. it's it's really it's a huge it's problem. Much more highly represented. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but I mean, I just this boy Shadrach is just a really beautiful young man, and he's just finished school, and he's sort of coming out into this world of working. He's started working as a filmmaker, and he's been making some really great films, and he worked mm. on a. Um, a, an Auslan book for specifically targeted to Indigenous kids because, again, so often you see these, I guess, brochures and images and there are white people in the images mm, yeah. and he wanted to show them with, um, so yeah, Indigenous people signing and so yeah. he made a sort of a, a book of that and went out into the communities and gave it to them and he's just trying to, I guess, share that knowledge with the rest of his community and, yeah, mm. it's just a really, That's awesome. a really beautiful young man. Yeah, yeah. I love how deafness has got that really beautiful intersection with so many so many groups and it just it can sort of just, like, open up, like, this kaleidoscope. Mm. Mm. Um, so you've talked about like some of the the issues in sort of representing a group that does experience marginalization. Would and you be able to in yeah, kind of the internal um, yeah I identifying guess yeah how I found it. I guess a lot of pressure to put out something like this because there has been so much pain for a lot of people and there's a, a lot of debate within the communities or communities and I was so conscious of, you know, thinking if something might offend someone or, yeah, making sure that there's such a diverse scope. And I guess I just didn't I didn't want anyone to feel like their, their views were, say... Um, represented in a particular way. Mm. Uh, and, I i mean, someone, a mother of one of the deaf kids in the book, she sort of just said to me, like, the fact that you're, you're aware of this and you're doing all you can is enough, you know. Mm. But it is a, 
as I, I found I find that pressure to be producing something that hasn't really been done that no one's really done this I just felt like it should have been done yeah and I guess I've done what I could and I hope <laughs> I hope I've given done that, justice to the issue I think you have that's the uh, interesting thing about art as opposed to something like statistics or medical um study with a particular outcome or something like that I think that what we were talking about before with the cochlear implants is a good example of how there could be one way of viewing something and then looking at it from your perspective from an arts perspective and taking people's portraits and speaking with them and having the developing these relationships over years um means that you can represent the diversity within the deaf community instead of this being a kind of like a this is what this what this is what is best for this group from our medical perspective or from our political perspective or whatever so you you get to present something to people that's going to be more representative in a, in a sense even if it's conflicting within itself if there's someone who likes or doesn't like for signing sure. or likes I mean, or doesn't like always, cochlear implants there's always conflicting that that's the reality mm. of any identity or mm. any any issue really there's, there's, society there's or no, culture yeah there's no like hegemony when well, you've got no people there's no right and wrong either it's no. just what people have experienced or how they feel about something and yeah yeah and i guess this whole the whole point of the project was to use storytelling and photography as a way to change perspectives perhaps or yeah de- for people to develop understanding of the issue rather than yeah just i mean the statistics in the book right. <laughs> they're <laughs> useful like, as well just tear that page out when you buy the book <laughs> we don't need that but it's interesting just kind of t- touching on things that you both brought up just then like this idea of the anxiety around sort of being a curator or being a presenter in a stage like in a mm-hmm. studio like now like yeah you know you have this sort of sort of like there's always a power play going on and it's kind of if you're actually invested in making sure that representation is done well then you're going to be a bit anxious but like I think working with working in art and working in a process that involves this kind of interviewing process like the the system or or the sort of the power play is so much flatter as yeah. opposed to like a, mm. a data statistician is obviously experiencing a, a godlike perspective which yeah. is what's unfortunate been interesting is because there is an industry like this deafness and hearing loss audiology is there's a whole industry and it's like a multi-billion dollar industry and so it's been quite interesting to as an artist producing this work that I believe is incredibly important but then trying to get the support of I guess the industry that have all the money Mm. And getting backlash in certain yeah. in certain aspects, and then realizing, you know, it's so hard to kind of pick yourself back up sometimes when you get these emails that are a bit like, "Oh yeah, good on you! Like you should be really proud of yourself." But yeah, we're not, mm. we won't necessarily support you. Mm. And then realizing that well, none of those people actually have experienced hearing loss or necessarily know anyone they're, that's the, their job mm, and wherever they ended up in that job that's where they are and and then when I kept kind of going I was like I've just got to do this and 
regardless of whoever's supporting me. And the responses that I got from the subjects in the book is kind of that's what just kept me going. I was like, mm. if they're happy and grateful and mm. receiving these messages, we're just like, thank you so much for doing this. That's what reminded me, like, okay, well, I'm on, I'm doing the right thing. I've just got to keep going and mm. for, for everyone else. So, yeah. It was, yeah, beautiful to get those responses. Yeah, you should be getting them. Like it, it's been such a labour of love. Like you've talked about how you've had to kind of, um, yeah, just do this on your own, on your own pretty much. Like you're not, you weren't able to pick up some funding for this book, like the funding that you were initially hoping to get because there was this ambiguity about you being an artist or maybe a professional because you're producing a product and categorically where are you? So, yeah, you ended up just like forging ahead and... Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Doing a service. Just go, yeah. Just got to do it. Otherwise, you know, <laughs> how many people have probably been mm. held back from doing something? They've just gone, well, yeah. I'm just going to do it anyway. So. Okay. So, yeah, the book launch is March mm. 1st um, at the Schoolhouse Studio. Is that yeah, right? In Collingwood. In Collingwood. And Kate's going to be there. I'll be there. I, mean, I think all of us will be there. <laughs> yeah. I'm really Come and say hi. <laughs> and then we've also got yeah. the Melbourne recital gig on March the 7th. And that's going to be insane. That's pretty special. It sounds beautiful. Yeah. It's, such a, it's such a wonderful piece of art and a beautiful book. And I am really glad personally to have been part of this conversation and to see the work that you've made and, and just uh, get myself more educated so thank you to both of you Um, thanks meg and thanks kate oh it's a pleasure to be here and yeah Yeah. and so i guess people if they're interested if if they're listening and they want to know more they can look up earshot yeah so you can go to earshot.com.au nice that's probably the Mm -hmm. best place to find all the various links or uh instagram Mm -hmm. yeah i've got a great instagram account um, and so before we finish up completely, just a, a query about where to next after this huge project, Labour of Love, something that's so close to your identity and your your passion. Mm-hmm. What what happens I after remember, that? Yeah. I remember you said something like you're going to struggle to find. I actually wrote this down. I remember hearing it being like, this right sounds like an epic, <laughs> epic um, sentence. What is it? It was something like I'm just going to struggle to find something with this sort of like every issue from here on is going to have to have some sort of purpose. Like the next step has to be driven by a I, need. I a... think so. Yeah, I I feel like I to work on something this profound and to be driven by uh, I feel like a need, and I think that's what's kept me going. I I think I would struggle to produce something if I didn't see a need for it mm. some people have said oh well you might just have a back backlash and just want to make something really pretty with no meaning whatsoever just like figurative yeah which i might but mm. i think i'd rather just have a holiday if that's what i wanted to <laughs> yeah <laughs> <laughs> uh but yeah i think the next journey for this is is definitely making sure people see it so right uh that's will be the next little while and then mm. to be able to step back is going to be nice and nice to feel like I can move on from it but yeah I definitely look forward to making something more work in the future that hopefully has an impact watch this space Mm. Mm. (laughs) (laughs) all right
You've been listening to Dialogues. I'm Meg Kimber. I've been chatting with Steph Payne and Kate Disherquill about uh, Kate's new work, Earshot. Thank you.
That was No Mono with their track Violence Broken from their LP Islands Part 1. If you like that, you can catch them at the Melbourne Recital Hall on March 7th at 8pm. They'll be playing as part of the Earshot launch that Kate DeShaquille has been organising for you guys. If you want to jump down, the tickets are $30 and $25 concession. It's going to be a really impressive evening. We've got... Um, dancers, experimental sound art, as well as no mono. And as Kate mentioned earlier, um, this is an Auslan interpreted evening. So it's a bit more than just music and dance. It's an embodied and deeply immersive experience that makes us think about what sound really is. And the event is a collaboration between Recital Hall and Musicians for Hearing, which, by the way, is a non-for-profit that uses events to help funding hearing care in developing countries. So proceeds for this event will be going far and wide.